I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Greetings and salutations, my friends, in the name of our Lord. I hope you're having a fabulous day. Um, I know I am. I'm always grateful when God answers a prayer. And uh, those of you who have been following me in this book of Revelation, John's Revelation, have known that my prayer has been, what in the world does all this stuff mean? And uh, I've, I've been struggling with that. And um, I've looked at the different points of view, the preterist, the futurist, the historicist point of views. And elements of each and every one of those points of view seem to make sense. And elements of each of those points of view just leave me scratching my head thinking, no, nah, this can't be. And uh, so that's been my struggle with Revelation. And the temptation is just to throw my hands up in the air and walk away saying, ah, I just don't get it. And fold the, the covers on this little book and, and uh, put it up on the shelf. I'm not content with that. This is part of God's word. And God's word has a message for me in every chapter that's written and every word that's been written, in every sentence. So there is a message here. What's been interesting to me as I have gone through uh, my time in the, in the New Testament this last year, the excitement for me has been when I find that aha moment in each one of these letters, that aha moment that's, this is the message of the letter. This is what the, this, this one sentence encapsulates what the author is trying to say. Um, and I get that uh, from a, a pastor who's gone on to be with the Lord, Ed Leon. Uh, I love you, preacher. I can't wait to see you again someday. He discipled me for a time. And in, in his discipling of me, he got me to be more and more concise with my testimony. He would say, you have 20 minutes today. Give me your testimony. And I told him my story. Then the next week we'd get together. He said, all right, you got 10 minutes. Tell me your story in 10 minutes. And I'd tell him my story in 10 minutes. The next week, all right, you got five minutes. Tell me your story in five minutes. And he kept pushing me and boil it down. So he says, finally, he said, you have 30 seconds with me in an elevator to tell me your story. And he pushed and pushed and pushed so that I would get to the heart and core of what my story is. What's important about my story? Well, as I'm reading through each of these letters in the New Testament, and Revelation is no different, I'm studying it, and I'm thinking with my mouth open, like you've been seeing me do, and with anticipation looking for that aha moment, this is the message of the book. Well, I've reached that moment with Revelation. I think I shared that with you last time. My aha moment, the message of Revelation is simply this. We're in a war. 
It's not that the world doesn't like us. In truth, the world hates us. And we are at war. We're reading a book about the greatest war of all time. The great war between the enemy of our souls and the God whom we serve. So that was a great relief to me. So now I'm looking at the book of Revelation through that lens and things calm down in my heart. And the other thing is this. Um, the one thing I forgot when I started reading Revelation was that this is a, this is a vision. Um, John was in a dream state, if you will. That's where visions come from, right? Uh, and he's, he's having this vision and all these fantastical pictures and illustrations and, and there's dragons and beasts with multiple heads and crowns and one of the heads looked like it died, but it came back. And then there's another one who wages war on God's people. And, you know, all these incredible, incredibly uh, powerful, all this incredibly powerful imagery. And I began to think about the times in my life where I have had incredibly powerful dreams. Um, and in the midst of that dream, everything made wonderful and perfect sense. But when I woke, came out of that dream and I looked back and I think upon what it was I just dreamt, it would just be a little weird. I mean, how, how in the world could all these things be tied together? In my dream, um, I might be dreaming about something that... Uh, that's important to me, all right? For instance, when I was young, I was bullied a lot. Uh, there created a lot of memories from that that I prefer I didn't have. And I remember maybe dreaming about the mishmash of being bullied and then dealing with it and coming out victorious. And in my dream, past, present, and future, we're all mishmashed together and it's hard to tell them apart. And when I wake up, didn't make quite as much sense as it did when I was dreaming it. But the important thing is that in that dream, elements of past, present, and future were all mixed together. And I think therein lies another secret for the book of Revelation to me. It's a matter of... The, my biggest puzzle in Revelation was putting together a sequence of events. When did this stuff happen? Did this is this something that was has already happened to the first century church? Is this something that is happening to the first century church, or is this something that's going to happen beyond the first century church? And that's frustrating to me because I I don't know enough to establish that kind of a complex uh, timeline. Now I could read commentaries and everything, and other people who have spent a lifetime pursuing this. And there is value in that. But I have a tendency that when I read something that somebody says that makes sense to me, I don't go any further. If you agree with me, you must be right, kind of thing. And so I've avoided that to some degree with this, or studying this book. Um, and so I began to realize that my one of my biggest problems with the Revelation is the when of it all. I don't understand the when of it all. But that's only part of the picture. 
The fact that I don't understand when something happening does not negate the truth of what is happening in the in this text. I have a friend of mine. Uh, she is a movie producer. And I used to teach alongside of her in a fine arts academy. And I love this lady. She was very insightful, very powerful. And she would teach her students. And I would sit in on her classes because if I wasn't teaching a music class, I'd sit in on her classes because this lady is worth listening to. And she would say something to the effect that there's only one great story that's ever been written. And of course, she's referring to the story of Jesus. And she says, every great story, film, or book written since then has elements of the greatest story in it. And that's why we're attracted to it. There's a protagonist and an antagonist. And the antagonist will appear to overcome and conquer the protagonist. And the protagonist comes back, as it were, from the dead to win. That's the greatest feel-good story of all time. And she said, no matter what movie I'm watching, whether it's a horror movie, a, a drama, comedy, a love story, uh, she says, I will look for God moments in that story, elements of the greatest story. And so it freed her in the way she watched these movies. Well, as I'm applying that kind of thing to this vision that John is having, I began to realize, at least for me right now, the when of it all is not nearly as important as what it's saying. Because truth be told, every event that's being talked about so far, I can see elements of that in today's time. Every thing that's being talked about in Revelation that John is seeing, I can look past in the past and see and see it. I can look, I can see what could happen in the future. So the when of it all isn't nearly as important to me as the now of it all. In other words, Revelation's message to me is, Paige, you're at war with the world around you. And this is kind of what it looks like. There's dragons. There's beasts. There's scary things. There's plagues. There's earthquakes, there's storms. It's a scary time. You're at war, Paige. And this is a movie of what that looks like. So having said that, so I woke up this morning and the thought in my mind was what I just shared with you. The when of it all is my problem. Past, present, future, that's the crux of my problem. And imagine my surprise when I read chapter 15 today, which I'm going to read to you right now, and we're going to chat about that a bit in a bit. I see what I just talked about jumping out at me from a hymn that's being sung in heaven. So let's look at it right now. Chapter 15. I saw in heaven... Another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last because with them, God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass glowing with fire 
and standing beside the sea, those who had been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. They held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of God's servant Moses and of the Lamb. All right, first of all, seven angels, seven last plagues, God's final response. He's going to bring this war to an end. This is God's final response to the overtures of war and the acts of war committed by the enemy of our soul. John saying, I'm seeing the end coming. And this is what it looks like. And he says, there's people there who have been victorious over the beast and its image and over the number of its name. That would be us, the church. Those who have not embraced the culture of our world, who have not decided to mix whatever belief we have in God with the pagan rituals of the world around us. We're there and we're singing a hymn. Here's the hymn. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the nations. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. And here is part of my today aha moment. In all these phrases, elements of past, present, and future are demonstrated. Great and marvelous are your deeds right now. God, right now. Your deeds right now are great and marvelous. Just and true are your ways right now. In my now, in my today, God, you are just and true. And all of your deeds are marvelous. Then who will not fear you, Lord? The future, looking ahead to the, towards the end of time. Who will not fear you and bring glory to your name? For you alone are right now holy. All nations will come future and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed in the past so we can look in our past personally and through the past history as demonstrated in the scriptures and what we know of secular history if you will we can look through history in our past and see that god's righteous acts have been revealed there have been revelations about god that we can see in our past history. And based on that, because that's what it says, for your righteous acts have been revealed. That means because. All nations will come and worship before you because your righteous acts have been revealed. There will come a time when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. There's gonna come a time when the world with all its vain boasting and his vain posturing, where's God? You said he's going to come back. Where is he? I don't see him. You say God is just. You say God is true. <laughs> you say God is holy. All this posturing and, and self-righteous uh, indignation They're going to be, the past is going to be revealed and they're going to say, they're going to see God's righteous acts finally. And they will come and declare his worth. 
Now it says, when all nations will come and worship before you. All right, the word worship just means declaring the worth of something, right? When you worship something, you're declaring that it's worthy of your attention. It's worthy of your adulation. It's worthy. All nations will come. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And eventually, who will not fear you, O Lord? Eventually, these people who have aligned themselves with the enemy of our souls, who have accepted the mark, who have embraced the culture in opposition to the culture of God's kingdom, they won't have a choice. They're going to fear him. So you can see I've, this passage, this hymn, contain elements of past, present, and future. And that's what God is just reinforcing to me. The when of it all is not really as important as the fact that it is what it is. Great and marvelous are your deeds, O God. Just and true are your ways. You alone are holy. Everybody's going to worship you. Everybody's going to bow their knee to you. Everyone's going to fear you. Why? Because your righteous acts have been revealed. This is a synopsis of the end of the story. At the end of it all, this is what's going to be happening. Powerful stuff. Let's continue going on. Verse 5. After this, I looked and I saw in heaven the temple, that is the tabernacle of the covenant law, and it was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues, and they were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. The timeline of the war between the dragon and God. There's like a hushed moment of silence before God starts pouring these bowls out. It's kind of like um, when I was in Charleston, South Carolina, and Hurricane Hugo came through. At the backside of Hurricane Hugo, a tornado dropped out of the storm and uh, passed over our house. Um, but the amazing thing about that was that Hurricane Hugo, the, it was a very, of course, very loud storm, lots of wind happening. And you're, you're hearing for hours and hours and hours, you're hearing this, this wind roaring. And then just before the tornado approached our house, it got all of a sudden got eerily quiet, just like quiet for a moment. And then we heard the roar like a freight train going through our living room. But just before that happened, it got quiet. All of a sudden just stopped. That's what's happening here. Just before the final violence of God's response, there's a moment of silence. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. 
No one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels was completed. He's getting ready to open up the last plagues. Whew. We're at war, people. And our king's response is about to be felt. All right. I hope these muddlings and meanderings uh, blessed you in sm some small form. Um, just to repeat, to me, the when of it all is not nearly as important anymore. The message is powerful. And the message is timeless. And I'm open to the fact that maybe this might be a cop-out of me trying to figure out which is, is the best point of view, the preterist, historicist, or whatever ist view you want to uh, inhabit in your brain. I'm open to the fact that I'm avoiding that, but I'm avoiding it on purpose. Because what God is showing me in Revelation is that what I do as a believer is of incredible importance because I'm at war. Paul gives a, a vision of the Christian saint in Ephesians chapter 6 wearing the armor of God. That's a warrior's outfit. The breastplate, the sword, the helmet, all of the shield. Paul got it. He knows that we're at war and we have the enemies of our warfare. We have the, the weapons of our warfare that must be considered. And in John's revelation, I'm seeing this incredibly vivid dream of this war that we're all a part of. So, once again, God does what he always does. He wakes me up with a sense of comfort and a sense of uh, direction as I go through this book. All right, folks, that's enough for today. This is Paige. There's my coffee. And I'm out of here. Bye-bye. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. Neither should my thoughts be your thoughts. You need to think for yourself.